Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You've been in a toxic relationship. You've had a toxic relationship. You may be in one right now. And of course, that's what we specialize here in in toxic relationships on Save Your Sanity. And today, I have a special guest I've been waiting to have for quite a while. Her name is Rihanna Milne, and she is an expert in toxic relationships. So you can tell that two experts discussing this is going to be a really hot topic today. So stay tuned. Are you living with the chaos, confusion, and uncertainty that a toxic person loves to create? Is a partner, parent, ex, sibling, child, or co-worker causing you to second-guess yourself? That can be crazy-making. I'm here to help you save your sanity. So let's get down to it and figure some things out now. Stay tuned. Welcome to Save Your Sanity. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. I'm so glad that you're here. If this is your first time listening to Save Your Sanity, welcome. And if you're returning, I'm so glad that you found value and you've come back. Today we have our guest, Rihanna Milne. We're going to have a great conversation about her book, Love Beyond Your Dreams, and we're going to talk about the higher level things that we need to know about being in a toxic relationship. Welcome to the program, Rihanna. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate being here. And hello, everyone. So exciting. So let me tell you a little more about Rihanna. She's a certified global life and love trauma recovery coach, a certified clinical trauma and addictions professional, a certified mindfulness coach, and the number one bestseller. She's the host of the podcast, Lessons in Life and Love, and so much going on. She's from Florida, as you can tell, because she has a beautiful boat behind her with palm trees. <laughs> so that gives us a little indication that she may be from the tropics. She's also a life and dating coach, and she was on the show that my friend Betsy Chassie created called Radical Dating, Finding Lasting Love Over 40. And excitingly enough, the person that she coached ended up happily married. <laughs> so we've got so much to talk about. Um my audience is really well-versed, as I said, in toxic relationships on the whole. They've come and recognized that, oh, yeah, something's gone sideways here. So what drew you to focus on toxic relationships? Well, I was a psychotherapist in year 2000, doing the typical route of private practice. And I had a marriage to someone I loved and adored. And he uh, had a whole secret life, which I call a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde personality type to the public. Mm -hmm. Very charming, outgoing, successful and lovely. And behind closed doors, a whole different person that he tried to hide for many years, uh, including the school superintendent who introduced us, Mm -hmm. who uncovered the secret life. So I was married five months and I decided to stand up as my own attorney and get the marriage annulled, which I was able to do. And right after that, I talked to seven psychotherapy friends, had no idea what would make him sabotage our relationship, which was, you know, everyone just loved us together. We were so happy. 
And his last words to me, he goes, I don't know why I sabotage everything I love. And I said, I don't either, but I'm going to figure it out. Now, at that time, childhood trauma was not talked about. I did not learn about it in my triple masters in psychology. The term just didn't exist. So that's what started me on my journey of very deep research um, to heal myself first. And then it just was coming together in all of the different places where I was working. Mm-hmm. And um, then in 2011, I developed a childhood trauma checklist. And it's one of my assessment tools that I use all the time now. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But, you know, that's so interesting because I think so many of us who are very effective in the field of trauma and in toxic relationships have had these experiences, have had those aha moments where, whoa, how did this happen? Uh, Why didn't I see this? And even though we are well-versed in our field, we can still not see it clearly because, and this Let's everybody understand that when you're being love bombed, that's not the real person. That's the person they want you to believe they are. And as you come to recognize, they do paint a public picture of perfection and then at home provide a private place of pain. Mm-hmm. So when you go out to talk about it, just as Rihanna said, you go out to say to people, well, no, this is the way he or she behaves at home. Oh, no, they're wonderful. They're perfect. How could you ever say that? It must be something you're doing. Yeah. And the actual fact is, blame. Yes. Yeah. And the actual fact is, no, it's just that the chameleon has gone back to its original color and is no effort at all to blend in anymore or be that attractive thing to you. So glad that you've had that experience to share. Sorry that you had to have that experience to learn from. But in your book, and there's just a little bit of background that I think we all can use. I love this. In your book, Love Beyond Your Dreams, you have a formula and it's trust equals consistency over time. Mm, Yes. And that is just so clear, Rihanna, that if that is the case, trust equals consistency over time. No question why you lose trust in a toxic relationship. Can you speak about that? Well, definitely. I mean, the original trust and infractions came during childhood. This is why our childhood trauma, if you have not healed that, trauma attracts trauma. And then you are mostly triggering each other. So when clients come to me for healing with my coaching, one of the formulas that they keep in mind is that they come usually with very low trust because it's not usually one toxic relationship they have. They usually have multiple toxic relationships. Then they start not trusting themselves, their ability to make a choice or the person that's in front of them. So that self-doubt and the doubt in the other or the partner can, you know, cause all kinds of triggering, right? So the first thing is to get educated on what you know and also watch the partner that you're dating over time. Mm -hmm. Trust equals consistency over time. Are they consistent in their behavior? Do their words match their actions? The research shows everyone's just about perfect that first 90 days to four months. (laughs) And then the toxic uh, episodes come out month four through uh, nine or 12. And it usually comes out when it becomes more serious. So being exclusive, living together, getting engaged, married, or having a child. 
And this is where the emotional triggers and toxic behaviors start emerging in that time period. Right. And the thing is that you may hear and see these toxic behaviors, but then being a healthy, good person, you lean in, you think, oh, maybe I can help. Maybe they just need to be loved. Then you are self-reflective. Maybe it's something I'm doing, which is a wise thing to always check. Mm-hmm. Um, but then if you start seeing a lot of these wonderful red flags that show up, <laughs> you know, we want to be very, very clear that you are seeing them and you want to be very clear that you're seeing them too as they show up in your relationship. Now, one thing we know about the hijackals that I talk about, the toxic people, is that they're in a rush because they're covering up who they really are and putting on this facade to be the person you want them to be. But they're in a rush because they want to give up the act. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. They really do go for fast marriages. So that's a red flag. I talk of 36 red flags on my red flag checklist that you want to be watching for as you're dating. Um, This is why I really encourage my people who are single, I work with couples too, to just take your time, you know, become friends first, build the foundation, look for character, you know, who are they? Um, And uh, don't fall for chemistry. I mean, I tell everyone (laughs) that's the worst way to fall in love uh, because your toxic unconscious traits or, you know, being ignited by theirs. So you, you know, education is power, knowledge is power. So know where your childhood traumas come from. And the studies show nine out of 10 people uh, have one to three of the top 10 traumas that I describe on the checklist. So which ones are yours? And what is the severity level? I look at a level from one to 10. How severe are they? And why what you experience is calling this person into your life. Mm-hmm. And when you are living in full conscious awareness, once you learn how to do that and you understand what your traumas are, what emotional triggers are, how they show up, and then how to heal them. Um, and everything I've learned as a clinical trauma professional, it takes about six months to heal trauma from your brain and body cells, right? Because it stays trapped oh, in the body. Or even longer. Or longer. But, you know, mm-hmm. with conscious work, you know, working with a coach. Uh, you can get really very beyond it, uh, the healing, and then you become educated in what is an emotionally healthy, evolved, and conscious partner. And then you learn you don't settle for less. <laughs> you know, you uh, know the do's and the don'ts, and you date consciously. You become very consciously aware. Yes, and and that takes a while. So you know, you you may have some approximations of getting better and you may slip back and don't worry about that. That's part of the journey. Remember two steps forward and one step back still makes progress. So Mm -hmm. if you find yourself making excuses, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about why people make excuses for the bad behavior of others in toxic relationships. I think most people have a conscious awareness that these are two people coming together and you have to learn each other's likes and behaviors and quirks 
And I think that's perfectly fine. You can't be rigid and say, I want everything my way. So there is that learning curve. I think that's fine. Uh, But when it becomes toxic, as you all know, you know, you're feeling irritable bowel syndrome or headaches, or you can't sleep, or you're overeating, undereating, all the toxic signs that your body or brain is in distress or depressed or anxious all the time, whatever those signs are, that you have to be real with yourself and say, you know, this is not working for me. Yes, they may have a few lovely qualities, but deep down, you know, he comes home in in an angry mood. This is upsetting me. He should know how to self-soothe before he walks in the door. You know, so you, yes, you don't give up quickly. You might go to counseling or coaching to work out these quirks and patterns, many of them unconscious or what we call normalized patterns that aren't serving you. But over Mm -hmm. time, if they're not serving you and that partner has no desire to help themselves and the relationship, then you have to be stronger and say, am I happy? And if not, maybe it's time to move forward. Right. And that partner also may have no willingness to acknowledge or take responsibility for their behaviors. That's right. They're not even interested in hearing about them. And what they will do is blame shift. I recently did an episode on blame shifting, which means that when you say, you know, here's what you're doing and it makes me unhappy, it immediately comes back and says, no, you do that. You are the one who does that. And that's Blaming what we- behavior is a part of unconscious childhood trauma that hasn't been healed, that blaming behavior. Right. Yeah, but they, so. they generally blame, but how they love to blame shift. If it's coming towards them, they're like Teflon, you know, they they just send it right back at you. And that's one of the things that we've talked about before. So I like your definition of a toxic partner from your book, Love Beyond Your Dreams. You say anyone who makes you feel emotionally or physically ill by the way they act or treat you. And I think that's very important for lay people to understand, people who are maybe new to the idea of toxic people, that you have the right to say, I'm noticing this makes me feel emotionally or physically ill. And as you said earlier, you may develop some symptoms. You may have autoimmune symptoms. You may have fatigue. Mm -hmm. You may have brain fog. You may have a lot of things that you didn't have before. But then you really need to take stock of it's the relationship that's making me feel physically or emotionally ill. And is that actually the case? Let's have a look at that. So. I like that because it's not something that you have to go outside yourself to calibrate. (laughs) If another person is making you feel emotionally ill or physically ill, and it's a repeat performance that happens uh, every time they come home, (laughs) then it's time to wake up and smell the herbal tea, right? I think something's going sideways here. So what do you say about those people who are overly compassionate and they want to fix and rescue and heal their partner and they really don't have what it takes to do that, but they overextend in that direction? Well, the people pleaser Mm -hmm. is also someone from unhealed childhood trauma. And they usually grew up in a household or with a very difficult, let's say, a father who would yell and scream But if they people pleased him and did everything that the good little girl would do, right, then they would not be at the mercy of their wrath. 
So they normalized, if I'm good, if I overdo, if I do this and do that, then they'll love me. Now, the, again, these are unconscious norms or beliefs and just become everyday practices. So people pleasing tends to show up a lot in the women that I treat. If I have a couple come in, I'll often hear her say, I do everything for my husband and my kids. They do nothing for me. I show them all this love and I'm exhausted and burnt out and angry. And I don't get anything back. She got love, but she gets nothing back. But really her boundaries are so stretched and her husband might say something, but I don't ask her to do those things. I kind of feel like she's treating me like a child. Why doesn't she just let me do them on my own? You know, so she doesn't see it because Mm -hmm. it was so normalized in her childhood. Yeah, those are really important things, everybody, to to give a thought to, because we're going to talk in a minute about all of these childhood traumas that Rihanna has listed for us. But just think about that. What went on in your house that is seeming comfortably uncomfortable yet familiar in your relationship with a toxic person? And if you start to just look at how those two things may be drawn together, like, hmm, yeah, it's a little like that. You can have a moment of awakening where you realize that maybe you didn't even know what was going on because you didn't recognize it till this moment. And this moment is a much better moment to wake up than five years from now. So let's move on. Um Both the toxic person and the partner are likely to have had some childhood traumas that draw them together subconsciously. How do you think this impacts their dynamic aside from people pleasing? Well, um, if you'd like, I'll go into the top 10 trauma and then show you several patterns of how they show up and what trauma is triggering that pattern. Absolutely. Okay. So before I go into the list, I just really want to encourage the listeners that at this point of life, I don't want you to be angry and blaming mom or dad, right? And most people think I had a pretty normal childhood, a few bumps in the road, no big deal. I didn't have trauma until you hear these, right? And then the third thing is, I don't want you to look at yourselves with any kind of personal blame or shame or embarrassment because you are just a little child, right? We're a product of our environment. We can't help where we grow up. And how I devised this list, I worked in many different capacities, not only in private practice, but I was in the school as the SAC counselor, student assistance counselor for grades kindergarten all the way through college as school psychologist at a high school level. So I was the one that worked with the emotionally upset students. So they came from traumatic homes or they were the bullies or bullied. Um, They didn't fit in. They were oppositional defiant, maybe identified as ADHD and acting out. Those were my students. And then I was in a hospital setting. Uh, These were kids that were committed for suicide, cutting, Um, ages five through 19, very critically emotionally upset kids. I'm also a drug and alcohol counselor. So as in a teen rehab center, what turns teens to drugs at such young age? And then I worked with women from the prison system. So despite the ages and the different cultures and the environments, the top 10 traumas kept showing up as so impactful. And I thought it was interesting when I made this list in 2011 and discovered the Kaiser Permanente list, which is called the ACE study, Mm -hmm. they were missing many things that I named on my study. 
But years later, the CDC, Center for Disease Control, that was doing that list, um, adverse childhood events list, they added some of those things in. But I devised my list from the population I actually worked from. So that's how you know where these are coming from. So the first one is, did your mom or dad or your caretaker have any addictions? Now, Kaiser mentioned drugs and alcohol. But we know there's many more addictions that impact Mm -hmm. a family. So I named 12 drugs, alcohol, sex, meaning you're that you were covering up knowing that your parent cheated, porn use, gambling, hoarding, spending, eating, gaming, TV watching, workaholism. And even I added social media addiction where you're on the machines all the time and ignoring the child. Okay, let me just ask a question right there, because it might be on the listener's mind. You just thought that your parent was busy or preoccupied, you know, certainly in addictions that cause a physical experience that you could see that they were drug users or alcohol users. But, you know, that's a really important one to notice because you might have just thought they're busy. I remember when I was seven years old, my parents owned a, no, I was five years old. My parents owned a grocery store. Mm-hmm. And I have two hijackal parents, two toxic parents, and I'm an only child. Uh, and so I remember this day so clearly that it's a good example of this kind of childhood trauma. My parents worked in the grocery store. We lived above it. It was a Sunday. And I went to my mother sitting at her desk and I said, will you come and play with me? And she said, no, I have to work. And I looked at her, you know, yes, I was a different kind of child. Um, But I looked at her and I said, I don't know why you had children because you're always either too tired or too busy. There you go. I always saw kids as so smart. Remember, I was working in the school. So I had many, many kids come to me and they see all these addictions They'll say, we have no money to pay the gas bill, but my mom goes out shopping every day and comes home with stupid things. Like, they don't call it an addiction, but they know, you know, another child, I have to go with my dad to see the girlfriend and sit in the car, then lie to my mom that we were just at the park. So kids see this as little as kindergarten kids. They're so smart. They're so aware. So this will be very known to you, like your story, Roberta, right? Of like, I remember when. So this, these will be very clear to you when these examples come up. Yes. Yeah. So let's move on. What's okay. number two? Number two is very uh, important. It tends to be a big one in people's lives. It's verbal uh, abuse or trauma. So you could have seen your parents fighting quite a lot, yelling, screaming. That yelling could have come towards you. It even is if they never said the words, I love you. Or they never cheered you on and said, you know, I'm proud of you, kiddo, congratulations. But instead, the voice was critical. You were never good enough. No matter how hard you tried, the B isn't good enough. You have to get A's. It was always those critical or slight messages like, hon, go change your outfit. You look fat in that. You know, those slight put down messages. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) And we remember them. We remember those as well. Yeah. We, we certainly do. And, you know, these these 10 things are going to be such good things for us to talk about in a little more depth because audience members want to have examples and you're giving some good ones. And I'll just chime in, of course, because when when you're with a a parent who will not tell you they love you, 
it's something that you you lean in and and long for. Yes. And so you're much more susceptible if somebody tells you they love you, you're like, oh, that's my person. And mm-hmm. I just to relate it to my own story so everyone can have something a hook to hang it on. I was taking care of my mother. She died after my father. I was taking care of her at home to her death. And three days before she died, I put my hand on hers because heaven knows she wouldn't have held mine. So I put my hand on hers and I said, you know, mom, you've never told me that you love me. And her response was to look down her nose and said, I know. Oh, wow. So these things happen, Especially being the only child, right? Yeah, so... I was determined to teach my mom the words, I love you. I was fourth out of the five kids and the first to be pregnant with her grandchildren and delivered the baby. And I said, I'm going to teach this woman to say, I love you. And I said, you know, after each phone call, when I call about the baby, I love you, mom. And eventually says, yeah, me too. But it wasn't quite it. And I love you, mom. I mean, it must have probably been the 20th call. And she goes, love you too. And I dropped the phone. I'm like, finally. But talking to many baby boomers, and I finally asked her when we had a conversation, Mom, why didn't you tell any of us kids you love us? She goes, well, I never heard those words. I grew up in the Great Depression. It was all about survival. You know, we didn't hear those words. Those words weren't normal and natural for us. And many baby boomers I talked to never heard the words, right? So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it is. So let's move on. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, plenty of stories I could tell you. Okay, the third one is emotional abuse and neglect. We pretty much know what that is. However, even in the studies, I was reading those single moms that had to work nine to five, and what they called latchkey kids that had to let themselves in after school at 3.30. That was a form of neglect, even though that woman was working hard to even put food on the table, um, they said that the child was anxious coming home to an empty house, right? So that was could be a form of trauma for many kids. And that was before cell phones. You could just like call somebody so quickly and check in or text, I'm home. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, what in one of the studies. Okay, the next one is physical abuse, rape, molestation. Now, these traumas mm-hmm. could have happened inside or outside of the home, any of these 10. Okay, it just occurred during your childhood from zero birth or in utero, even if you had an anxious, alcoholic, upset mom, you know, or under many different scenarios, all the way up to your 20s. So with this one, you could have that perfect family at home, but walk to school and be beat up every day by the bully. Okay. And still, you know, you have this trauma in your, your brain or body. Um, so we know what those are and a a trauma such as rape, people would say, well, well, that's 11, that's a level 10 trauma. That's the worst. Well, is it any worse or less worse than that child that's that gets screamed at every day walking in the house or the one beaten, beaten every day when they walk home? You know, not really. So they're saying the repetitive traumas are equally as intense, Mm-hmm. Which I found I, very interesting. I just want to insert something here because something happened that many people are unaware of. And during the last administration in the United States, very quietly, the definition of domestic violence was changed. And it went back to the draconian 50s. And domestic violence was changed by definition to only include physical harm. 
And we had a very mm. enlightened definition before this last administration that had really worked hard to get all aspects of coercive control and abuse listed. Financial abuse, sexual That's abuse, right. spirit, all of that was there. That's how I define it still. And it was yeah. taken away in, in that definition. So really listen to these things as Rihanna's giving the list because this kind of emotional abuse that could have happened, any kind of abuse, is all contributing to it. And as she said, yes, rape is a heinous crime. We don't want people having that experience of trauma in their body perpetrated physically. But there are other kinds of abuse that are like Chinese water torture. They're just eroding you every day. Right. And the brain can't decipher this is one trauma and this is the other. When it's traumatized, it's traumatized. You right. see? Okay. The next one is very important as well. It's abandonment. And this was one that was not on the original Kaiser study, and I was shocked. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. and I define two types of abandonment, fault and no-fault abandonment. Again, working with all these kids. So a no-fault abandonment would be as if a parent died early, not their mm -hmm. fault, but of course, the child is traumatized. If the child goes, if the father or mother goes off to war, well, these students were like so emotionally distraught, worrying if their parent was going to come home alive from Afghanistan right. when I worked with them, right? So they couldn't focus. When trauma is going on, cortisol is up and memory is down. Now these kids are mistakenly identified as ADHD. And I said, no, they're coming from a trauma situation. And I had these kids meditating in my office before people even realized that that was important to do for kids to relax their mind, their brains to settle down so they could learn, right? So they were so interacted. So a parent going off to war is no fault abandonment. And one that I endured was um, a parent that works a lot away from the home. Now, I remember asking as a child, my mom, when's daddy coming home? She goes, well, I don't know where he is. And I'm thinking, why don't we know where he is? Is he okay? Yeah. So we never knew when he was going to walk in the door. I was very close with my dad. I loved him a lot. But that fear of, is he okay? Is he okay? was always going on in the child's mind. But this is how we supported the family. And later in many years, when my dad was sick, we find out from William Casey and Ronald Reagan, he was serving for the FBI and CIA. <laughs> now it makes sense. Great. But I had all those years wondering where my yeah. dad was. So, you know, they can't tell the family, but this is how he supported us. Mm -hmm. So very interesting. So those are some no fault. Fault um, abandonment. Oh, go ahead. I, I just want to add something sure. there. You know, that that whole idea of no fault, it's really important for us to understand that even though nobody did it on purpose to create that in you, you still experienced it. That's right. And what we're talking about here are the things you may have experienced in your childhood that would set you up for certain impacts in the rest of your life until you notice. So really yes. take it, uh, listen to this because as an only child and an original latchkey kid, my father was a commercial fisherman. And ah. so he was gone six, seven months of the year. Now, wow. little did I know until I was in my teens and kind of intuited it and found out it was true that he also had another family up the coast where he was fishing. But of course, <laughs> you know, um, um, but, you know, he, he left me with I used to say, you left me with her. 
right? Mm. Because my mother was so horrible. And then I really felt badly that he got away and I didn't. So it's important to understand these things really deeply. So let's talk about fault abandonment. Okay. That would be never being active in your child's life at all. Being there while the couple was together or married, then there's a divorce breakup and you barely see the child or saying, yes, I'll be there and not being there, uh-huh. canceling last minute, being late or even being physically there in the household, but checked out. So this could be the, the father sitting there watching football all day, Saturday and Sunday. And it's like, no, I can't go to your play on at school. The, the Rams are playing or something, you know, where that's more yeah. important than you. Uh, so emotionally just checked out. That is their fault. They could be more involved in, with their children, even with custody visits. You know, let's say that the man has moved on to a new girlfriend and he's more with her and the child's just in the room on their computer saying, why do I have to come here? I don't want to be here. This mm-hmm. is stupid. You know, well, how old do I have to be to say I don't want to go to my dad's anymore? I mean, these are the stories you hear <laughs> over and over working with kids. You know, yes. they they're not connected emotionally, but the parent doesn't try or they give up. Right. So these are forms of abandonment. The next one, um, kids of foster care. This was not on the Kaiser one as well. I had all the foster care kids that came into the hospital for mental health issue. Let me tell you something. The amount of traumas they have going from home to home, hoping to have their mom back, then taken away again, this back and forth, unstable, unsafe life is huge. It's like, how can they miss this? Right. Um, So that one stuck out in my mind. Um, Being adopted sometimes affects a lot of kids. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's perfectly fine, but that can be impactful. And the other one is just losing your your home or moving from mom's and dad's home to a grandparent or an aunt. Mm -hmm. Uh, They've lost their home or there's too many kids to take care of. Um, and I had a client that said, well, Rihanna, how about if we choose not to go home because it's so toxic and we go live at someone else's house? I said, yeah, that counts under number six, you know, so you start to identify these patterns that, yes, you didn't even want to go in that house because you didn't know what you were going to face, right? So that's under the household situation. Yeah, I I have a client or had a client who bravely told me that he could go and stay at anybody's house at any time and his parents didn't care. And he Mm. almost wore it as a badge of honor. Like my parents didn't care. I could do this. I could do this. And it led to narcissism because Mm. he he was was entitled to do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we're talking about, I just want to remind everybody that my question to Rihanna was about the fact that, and led to this list, is that both the person who has the toxic behaviors and the person who is putting up with the toxic behaviors Mm -hmm. may have these things on her list. So let's do number seven. Number seven is the one that most identify with. Of the top, I said, like I said, 90% have one to three. And the standard joke in this business is, and the other 10% are sociopath and would never admit (laughs) anything's wrong with them. So, and then you hear other people interview, like everyone experienced trauma, which is really pretty true. Okay. But this is usually one to one of the three. 
and that is personal trauma. So you remember being different or not fitting in in some way. So either being bullied as a kid, you were the chubby, overweight child or skinny or gawky or teased and called a nerd. You might have had a, had a medical condition walking around with an inhaler because you had asthma. So other kids teased you or you couldn't be on the cool teams. Uh, you might have been the only African-American girl in all Caucasian school. Or you wanted to come out as, you know, gay or a lesbian and you, you know, kids were teasing you or once you mm-hmm. did, they beat you up. There's so many reasons why you didn't feel like you fit in or part of the norm or the cool kids. So think about how many. And that was one I could, you know, definitely identify with because I was a tall, skinny girl. And the boys didn't like me and the girls, I was just quiet. And then I won a modeling scholarship by putting in an essay and modeling changed my life. And I became very confident and my self-esteem grew. Um, But that period of time between like 11 and 13 was horrific for me. And then I quietly did modeling and didn't even tell anyone about it. And that was like, oh, I love this. I'll wear, you know, this is where my personality could really flourish. And in high school, it's like, I'll just get the grades and get the hell out of here and go to college, (laughs) you know? And that's what I really did. I was a great student. And this is why a lot of people are very successful in business, but struggle in love because they found love or acceptance from their teachers, or they liked being a smart student, right? They felt good about that. So they could focus on doing well in school, even though they might've had a horrendous home life. Well, it brings up the point of looking for somewhere to be validated. Right. I mean, I, I, I say that that toxic parents, the hijackles that I talk about, toxic parents have children basically for three reasons, and this is my opinion: they have them to have someone to agree with them, someone to serve their purposes, and someone to make them look good by um, validating them that they're. How about you know, the fourth one, or it was a mistake. <laughs> well, that too. Yeah, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. Oops, that wasn't meant to happen. You know, Right. But once you're here, those are the three things that they want from you. They want to live and through your yes. success. So sometimes mm-hmm. you can avoid a little bit of trauma if you happen to be a great student. Or, you know, for me, I was, but I also was very musically talented. You so, go. you know, I could, I was in the newspapers all the time. The parents didn't come to the recitals Aww. or things, but they cut out the clippings and talked about them. So you have some saving grace when you can make them look good. Right. <laughs> but, right. It, but you still get the pain. So let's go on to number eight. Okay. Number eight is sibling trauma. So three Mm -hmm. things I identify here. Your sibling might have bullied you. Your Mm -hmm. sibling could have been born um, with special needs. So that commanded more of mom's and dad's time and attention with them, kind of leaving you off to the side. But most commonly, you identify your sibling as being the golden child. So the star athlete or more beautiful or more handsome or they were the smarter student and older and they always compared you to them. Why aren't you like your brother, Billy, you know, always comparing you to the other and never letting you feel good enough. Right. So that's sibling trauma. Number nine has two parts. And one part of the list used to be, like I said, there's more than 10 traumas. And when I made this list, this wasn't very prevalent, which was community trauma. Right now, everyone in our world is experiencing community trauma with the COVID pandemic. 
So look at our little children that have to wear masks. They're not allowed to play with their friend, go to school, worried if their parent goes off to work. Like, yeah, they can't touch their friends or wait, you know, is my dad going to die if he goes to work and all these horrible messages on the nightly news. Um, So this is very terrifying to see what happens to what our kids are experiencing now, that lack of safety when they are adults, because again, this plays out later in life when you're an adult. Our community traumas are so our mass shootings, our school shootings, our mother nature events, floods, fires, hurricanes, mudslides, where mass communities are wiped out or mm-hmm. you know severely impacted. So that's community trauma, which is now one of the biggest of the top 10. Oh, yeah. And the other one that is nine is family trauma. And so when there's a community trauma, it impacts the family. So if someone loses their job due to COVID, now they might lose their house as a family or they can't pay their bills or if they move, have to move to the nice home to the dangerous neighborhood. So that could be growing up or living in a dangerous neighborhood where you're always anxious and fearful. It could be hearing a lot of lack messages. We don't have money for food, for bills, standing in food lines. Um, it is also a, applies to like our military families here in the U.S. They usually move every two to four years. That's placing that child in a new school each time. Uh, if a parent is incarcerated. So there's many different ones we could name, but those are some common examples. Mm -hmm. And then the last one, trauma 10, is mental health issues in mom or dad. And to me, I think the two most difficult for a child to navigate is borderline personality disorder and bipolar. So bipolar means manic depressive. Manic phase could be a gambling spree, spending spree, eating binge, Um, a depressive episode could be just checking out emotionally, extreme fatigue, no energy for her kids at all, or even anger. And borderline I describe as fast trigger anger, uh, real erratic moods. When they're good, they're great. When they're bad, they're horrid, and you never know what you're going to get. These people would fly off the handle where everyone else would say, why they're so upset about that. (laughs) So that's the 10th one. And Here's an example of that. I had this happen in my practice. You know, the the mother would, a beautiful summer day, the children are outside, they're playing with the hose, they're laughing, they're sliding down the little hill, they've got the pool filled, the little paddle pool, mom's out there laughing with them, everything is wonderful. The next day, they do the same thing. And mom is like, you children make too much noise. You're making a mess. You're using too much water. This is a terrible thing to do. The child is completely confused. confused. Like, yeah. is this good? Is this bad? Does it make her happy? Does it make her sad? And that is a huge trauma because yeah. you can't figure out your life and how you fit. <laughs> it's that walking on eggshells feeling. And it's very hard for a child that has the the immature minds. Remember, you don't become into your adult mind till about age 23 for female and 26 for male. So the little kids don't have the ability to truly cope and make sense of things like that. So 
most kids will either become internalizers or externalizers. And the internalizers would be a child that maybe cuts, self-mutilates, um, eating disorder to have some kind of control. When they say, eat your food, eat your food, it's like inside, I'm not eating my food, I'll show you. You know, that's where eating disorders come from, trying to get some sort of control in their life. So there's many examples, but why don't we talk about where this shows up in these love relationships? Yes, and obviously I'm going to have to have you back because there's so much to talk about. <laughs> there's a lot. Yeah. But l- let's just give a little a little indication of okay. how this shows up and then okay. we'll we'll uh, move on and do it another day to really talk about this second part in depth. Okay. So where's jealousy and control come from? If you have a partner like that, that's usually trauma number seven and two combined. Seven is personal trauma, never feeling good enough. So your partner could really be very clear in saying, I love you, they're loyal, but they are trying to control every little thing. They still don't trust, right? There's low trust, there's so low sense of safety that you won't leave them. So not feeling worthy or good enough is trauma seven. And then those messages on top of that, um, you know, telling them they're not good enough, they're not pretty enough, they're not smart enough. So all that not feeling good enough comes out usually in jealousy or control of the partner. In abandonment, this can show up in love addiction. Like this, an example is you're very consciously aware that this partner you're with is bad for you, but you keep going back and you keep going back, then breaking up and going back, which research shows is an average of seven times. Right. I was just going to say that because that, that poll, and I want everybody to understand that statistic that 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 push pull that should i stay should i go mm-hmm. oh you leave and then it oh well was i wrong did i make a mistake was it me i should go back i don't know how to behave when i'm away from this person who's abusing me we get all of those mixed messages so i'm so glad that you brought up this statistic what's happening in there roberta is the unconscious is so starving for love consciously they know this person's not good for me. This has happened three times before. He's good for about 10 days is the good average, 10 days. And then something will come up again where he'll blow up and punish me. And then you'll try and take it, try and take it, try and take it. Then you go back. And it's because the unconscious is so starving for love because it's saying unconsciously, well, at least I have some love than no love. Okay, so that's really based around abandonment. Right. And the definition of love is warped. That's right. You know, that's something we also have to notice that really you're getting breadcrumbs. You're never getting a meal, but you're settling for the breadcrumbs and breadcrumbs are better than starving. Right. Yes. Now this can also be seeking uh, attention outside of the relationship. Let's say there's a man that had discord with his mother. They fought all the time. The mother made him feel terrible as a young man. So he grew up, which I call a mother hater, right? So a man that doesn't get along with his mother wants this perfect woman, this ideal mother woman that he imagines is really out there. So no woman's ever good enough. So if she, let's, he wants intimacy with her and she goes, "Hun, not tonight. I'm a little tired. He gets has a tantrum or scuffs off or stops talking to her. And then tomorrow he'll seek attention from some other woman that will make him feel manly and wanted. Mm-hmm. This is often from those verbal messages, trauma seven plus abandonment. Um, and there's so many 
many other combinations to talk about, but those are just two. (laughs) Name a few more. (laughs) No, I think we should just leave that there because we've got so much to talk about. And I want everyone to have a chance to integrate it and to process what we're talking about. So if we just do way too much, this may be overload already for someone. And it's a wonderful form of overload because it's an aha kind of, oh, there's that and there's that and there's that. And so when you say that people have maybe three of these traumas, there are going to be listeners who can say, oh, no, I've got eight. Yeah, you know? yeah. people I mean, will recognize a lot more. That's right. But yeah. it's so enlightening. Thank you so much for You're putting welcome. that list together um, and to be able to express it so well, Rihanna. Sure. Yeah. Well, for them, you know, who might have been driving and listening to the show, you can get a copy of the Childhood Trauma Checklist and the ebook. Why nine out of 10 people struggle in life and love and how to have the love you deserve right off my website, rihannamilne.com or Roberta has a link right in the show notes. Just click on that. And also on my website, you can get the first 60 pages of both my books, Live Beyond Your Dreams, From Fear and Doubt to Personal Power, Purpose and Success, which is about the mindset for success. Very important. And then Love Beyond Your Dreams, Break Free of Toxic Relationships to Have the love you deserve. So get those. And then there's the four free love tests. And one of them is a red flag checklist. And there's lists there for singles and couples. So help yourself to those resources. Well, thank you for doing that. I was just going to say all those things, but now it came from the oh, source. Okay. So <laughs> there, okay. there you go. Do you see how much good Rihanna has to offer you? The insights that you can have by using her free resources. So be sure to go to RihannaMilne.com. That's R-I-A-N-A-M-I-L-N-E.com. And Definitely all of this is in the show notes along with free gifts and the ways to access them and also how to find Rihanna on social media so that you can follow her and learn more about her work and stay up to date. So thank you so much, Rihanna, for being my guest. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate that. I just want to encourage the listeners, don't settle. You know, now's the time to create that life you desire and to have a love that you deserve. Absolutely. So I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. You know, you can find me at for relationship help, F-O-R, relationship, H-E-L-P.com. My YouTube channel is the same name for relationship help. I'm so glad you've been listening to Save Your Sanity podcast. If you'd like to support the work, you can go to patreon.com slash save your sanity, make a one-time donation or a monthly donation. And we appreciate you doing that. So we can bring this information to you and everyone else. So every time we end this show, I remind you, take very good care of yourself because you matter and demonstrate that to yourself every day. Talk soon.
<laughs> well, welcome to the special segment of Save Your Sanity, where I talk to my guests about the more personal aspects of how they learned what they learned and what were the three most significant things that they learned from having experienced a toxic relationship in their life. So today I'm talking with my special guest, Rihanna Milne. You perhaps heard her episode where we talked about uh, the 10 emotional traumas of childhood and the various other, not just emotional traumas of childhood that you may have experienced that could have set you up for a less than satisfying relationship experience as an adult. So welcome to the program, Rihanna. Thank you so much. It's exciting for people to know people who have survived and not only survived, but gone on to create lives of deep meaning and happiness. So it's a very brief segment here <laughs> just to talk about you as a relationship therapist, a coach, an author of Live Beyond Your Dreams and Love Beyond Your Dreams, created these wonderful checklists. All these things are available at rihannamilne.com, R-I-A-N-A dot M-I-L-N, whoop, I said it wrong, <laughs> R-I-A-N-A M-I-L-N-E dot com. You'll see it in the show notes. What actually did you take away significantly that changed your life after you realized you'd been in a toxic relationship? I have a gardener right outside my door. I'm so sorry if that's coming across the mic. Do you want me to wait, Roberta? Yeah. Can you hear it? It's yeah. really loud. Yep. They come once a week, right? It happens to be right now. <laughs> I know. I don't do interviews on Mondays because the garbage man comes between one and three. <laughs> well, they vary depending on our weather here. So it's really hard to track down. Mm -hmm. Hopefully he'll be away from my front area yeah. where my office is in a second. No worries. You know, what's really okay. interesting in our conversation is how many parallels there are between what you know, what you've experienced and what I have. I worked in education for 28 years. Oh. <laughs> well, as what, what, a counselor as well? I, I was a counselor, but I also was a teacher. I was a music specialist and I was a principal. Oh, awesome. That's yeah. amazing. So, yeah. I love my principal because she was a former therapist. She goes, you do whatever you want. You want to meditate with those kids? She goes, you just walked into a war zone. Whatever you create, do it. You know? She was fabulous. Well, they, they recognized that, you know, because of my training too. So I had a lot yeah. of latitude and then yeah. I, I took over the schools because the last one, I was principal of a school for at-risk teenagers. So obvious, awesome. that was obvious, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's good for you. So that's we've, what, ha we've yeah. had those similarities, yeah. which is fun. Yeah, how about that? Can you still hear it? Is it better on your end? It's a little bit further away now. It's still a few blips. We'll just wait a second. Okay. Yeah. So all of, all of that. And... <sighs> I left that job when my last kid had been on his own for two years. I told my kids, when the last one of you, they're 10 years apart, I've got three kids. Wow. When the last one of you is out the door for two years, I'm going to do whatever I want. And that there means I'm moving. <laughs> there you go. Go for you. Yeah. So now I have a five grandchildren and two great grandchildren. I have five grandkids and one on the way. 
<laughs> the last two are a set of twins, a little boy and girl that just turned a year over the weekend. Oh, so adorable. In Austin, Texas, I had tickets for their first birthday and I had to cancel it. Yeah. Yeah, due to the storms. But, oh, come on, guys, what are you doing out there? <laughs> well, I haven't been to Canada, obviously, because of COVID. You can't go. Yeah. Um, so I haven't seen my family for it'll wow. be two years in July. Wow, that's a long time. I still did fly. I flew in July uh, to LA where Alexi and Preston were living. You might know my daughter, Alexi Panos. She's a global coach. No, and Preston smiles. They're millennials, you know, they're a little younger. Um, and they recently moved to Austin. And uh, a lot of the younger coaching communities moving out of LA now that they have kids. Yeah, it's very yeah. expensive. Well, also, uh, a lot of them don't believe in vaccines, and oh. Texas is a right to choose vaccine or not. So that's pretty good. Okay. I, are you, does it sound okay on your end? Are we? Should we try for me to answer? What do you think? It's still there, but it's, it's better. Yeah. So that's mm. okay. Let's go ahead and do it. It'll just be a little hum in the background. So I'm okay. just going to make a big noise here. So what I discovered was when I did the research on childhood trauma, how important it was to really know it and understand it, how it impacts you. And if you're in a coupled relationship, how it impacts your partner as well. Um, it's, it's everything. <laughs> it is really the basis of those repetitive uh, habits or norms that can sabotage you as a single person attracting love into your life or as a coupled person to have long, happy, sustainable, sustainable relationships. So it's really important to know it, understand it, and how it applies to you. That would be item one. And so important because internalizing and integrating that information is part of your personal growth and development. That's and right. so definitely I can understand that one. What else did you learn? Um, really, you know, never to settle. In life, you know, live large. (laughs) That's one of my comments. Live large. You know, even if you're a single person, create that life that you really want, right? Um, Don't settle for something that's toxic. The world is abundant. You will find someone wonderful when you know the dating skills that unfortunately none of us had learned. Um, I do teach that in my coaching programs, all based on research. And there there is a psychological and an emotional edge to being successful in dating. And that all comes from the mindset for success, which I also teach, and real practical dating skills. Um, It's important that you heal your trauma first, and then be who you want to attract. And that is a process of going from any fear, negative-based thoughts to conscious awareness and living in a very positive and happy life. So that's very important, too. Well, it's an interesting thing that you say, be who you want to attract, because 
we we tend to attract people who have permission to do things differently than we have. <laughs> you know, if somebody can get away with their anger, there's something like a subconscious attraction to, how do you do that? I, I'm afraid of my anger. So if you are healing yourself, you want to be who you want to attract because you want somebody who supports the same things in life that you do, has the same values, lives the same way. So I truly understand that. What's mm-hmm. number three? I have a quote. It's, you can't change what you don't acknowledge or understand. Mm -hmm. So most people don't understand why they end up in repetitive, toxic relationships. I describe it like this, a rainbow. You're standing on the one side. You don't know what you don't know. And I get that feeling so clear because that's where I was. How did I not see this? How did I attract this into my life? Why did he sabotage everything we've got? And this is, again, is before I even heard the term childhood trauma. And I had to figure out what that what it was within him that sabotages everything. And it's a learning curve. And you're going from unconscious to fully conscious and aware behaviors, right? So you're learning a lot and then you'll slip and then you're learning and then you'll slip. And people ask, why, Rihanna, do I have to slip? Because the unconscious is very strong. The norms of the behaviors that you learn, the coping mechanisms that might have served you as a child no longer serve you as an adult. So we have to change up behavior and it takes time. And then by the time you get it, which is four to six months, then you're actually at the end of the rainbow where there is indeed a pot of gold that you're living that life you desire, right? And having the life that you really deserve. Excellent. Well, you certainly gleaned a lot from your journey and you've turned it into gold for other people to understand and acquire. You have uh, your Live Beyond Your Dreams and Love Beyond Your Dreams books. You have checklists at your website that people can access. So everybody go to rihannamiln.com and access those things. R-I-A-N-A-M-I-L-N-E.com. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. Thank you for having me today. Well, everybody, you can recover, you can thrive, you can do much more than survive. So when we listen to these wonderful stories of my previous guests, I hope they inspire you. And move on, look up, and live out loud. Take good care. Thank you for joining me on the Save Your Sanity podcast today. I hope you've had some new insights some ideas and strategies to help you gain clarity and confidence for moving forward toward greater emotional health and safety. You deserve that, and so do your children. If you found value here and would like to support this podcast with a dollar or five each month, please do so at patreon.com slash saveyoursanity. Learn more about how to work with me via video conference, join my optimized circles, or subscribe to this podcast on my YouTube channel at my website, transformingrelationship.com. Talk soon.